Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, your secretary for today's meeting. Let's go ahead and open this session with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you so much for coming to today's reading of March 23rd, Daily Reflection and Other Books, the 24-hour book. It says, and no more reservations. We have seen the truth again and again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. To be greatly affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time, nor take the quantities some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 33. These words are underlined in my book. They are true for men and women alcoholics. On many occasions, I turn to this page and reflect on this passage. I need never fool myself by recalling my sometimes different drinking patterns or by believing I am cured. I like to think that if sobriety is God's gift to me, then my sober life is my gift to God. I hope God is as happy with his gift as I am with mine. Amen. That's today's daily reflection. And let's go ahead and back that up with, uh, there's a Hazleton book here. It says, if anything we have tended to be people who wanted it all now, to hope is not to demand. If anything we have tended to be people who wanted it all now, to hope is not to demand. This is on the on hope. If maybe we were a bit demanding, maybe we were a bit impatient, maybe that's why we had such little hope. Hope is believing good will come, even in bad times. Hope is knowing that this too shall pass. Hope is knowing that no matter how afraid we are, God will be with us. Hope is knowing we never have to be alone again. It is knowing that time is on our side. Hope is giving up control. Hope is knowing we never had control in the first place. Hope is believing in ourselves. Hope is what our program is all about. Prayer for the day. God, our higher power, in our program, we share our experiences, our strengths, and our hopes. Thank you for giving all three, excuse me, of these to me to share. Action for today. I will share my hope for the future with myself, my higher power, and my friends. I also will share this with someone who has lost hope. I'll take a sip of coffee. See if we clear that throat. Good morning. Good morning to all yous. Thank you so much. Excuse my throat. And uh, reading of 24-hour little book for today. 
for the 23rd. Uh, tomorrow I got to go water for a buddy of mine in a couple of cities down. His plans, he went down to the bar. He took a trip down to, I guess, the Caribbean or something for 10 days. And I have another friend that's coming over today. We're going to do a CF class, something to do with uh, the authorities and his children not being a good dad. And so we're going to go. And now he's being a good dad. So we're going to have a discussion uh, and helping him keep his kids. And some of the things we do since we're retired. Yesterday I helped another buddy. Uh, get his uh, his empty a house full of furniture and getting it ready for sale. His dad his dad has retired, so that's a wonderful thing. Twenty four hour little book, AA thought for the day. Strength comes from the fellowship you find when you come into AA. Just begin with men and women who have found the way out gives you a feeling of security. You listen to the speakers, you talk with other members, and you observe the atmosphere of confidence and hope that you find in the place. Am I receiving strength from the fellowship with other AA members? Meditation for the day. God is with you to bless you and help you. His spirit is all around you. Waver not in your faith or in your prayers. All power is the Lord. Say that to yourself often and steadily. Say it until your heart sinks with joy. For the safety and personal power that it means to you. Say it until the very force of the utterance drives back and puts it not all the evils against you. Use it as a battle cry. All power is the Lord's. Then you will pass on to victory over all your sins and temptations, and you will begin to live a victorious life. I pray that with your strength from God, you may lead an abundant life. I pray that I, that I may lead a life of victory. <clears throat> all power belongs unto God. Let's go ahead and read that from where it came from. That little section there came from this book called God Calling from A.J. Russell. And now we're going to read it at its full strength. It says, Until your heart sings is the title. I am beside you, saith the Lord, to bless and help you. Waver not in your prayers. They shall be heard. All power is mine. Say that to yourself often and steadily. Say it until your heart sings with the joy of the safety and power it means to you. Say it until the very force of the utterance drives back and puts to naught all the evils against you. Use it as a battle cry. All power is given unto me. All power is given unto my Lord. Excuse me. All power is the Lord. All power is given unto me. Hmm. All power is given unto my Lord. All power is given unto my friend. All power is given unto my Savior. Then you pass on to victory. Let me read that again. This one says, 
All power is the Lord's. This sounds easier, huh? All power is the Lord's. Amen. All power belongs unto the Lord. Amen. And we got a couple of more readings since we're in that first first, first person reading. And today, Jesus calling for March 23rd says, I am God of both intricate detail and overflowing abundance. When you entrust the details of your life to me, you are surprised by how thoroughly I answered your petitions. I take pleasure in hearing your prayers, so feel free to bring me all your requests. The more you pray, the more answer you can receive. Best of all, your faith is strengthened as you see how precisely I respond to your specific prayers. Because I am infinite in all my ways, you need not fear that I will run out of resources. Abundance is at the very heart of who I am. Come to me in joyful expectation of receiving all you need and something much more. I delight in showering blessings on my beloved children. Come to me with open hands and heart, ready to receive all I have for you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Come on now. Let us open our hands and receive all that God has for us today. All right, I got another little book here called Jesus Today. And the from it says, God's Word says, There's no hopeless situation. Illness, marriage, our hope is the anchor of our soul. The confidence hope of Jesus Christ's return. And Psalm 33, verses 20 to 22, Message Bible says, We're depending on God. He's everything we need. What's more, our hearts brim with joy, sins we've taken for our own His holy name. Love us, God, with all you got. That's what we're depending on. Amen. Wow. Well, have a wonderful day. Give them heaven. Let's go ahead and pray Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord has anointed my head with oil, my cup run it over. Surely goodness and mercy and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Bible reading from the New Living Testament Recovery Bible, which is an awesome Bible. Let's pray, please. Thank you so much for listening in. Pray with me. God, grant me the courage to understand your word. Give me the wisdom 
to set aside the difference and the serenity to receive your love and peace out of reading your word. Lord, reward us as we step into step three of the 12-step devotional. In Jesus' name, amen. Submission and rest. Bible reading, Matthew eleven twenty-seven to verse 30. Chapter 11, verse 27 to 30. We made a decision to turn our wills and our life over to the care of God. When our burdens become heavy and we find that our way of life is leading us toward death, we may finally be willing to let someone else do the driving. We may have worked hard at getting our lives on the right track, but still feel as if we will always end up in the dead end street. The Proverbs tells us there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. 1421 Proverbs. When we begin our addictive behavior, we were probably seeking pleasure or looking for a way to overcome our pain. The way seems right at first, but it wasn't long before it became clear that we were on the wrong track. By then, we were unable to turn around on our own. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. And a a yoke is that piece of wood they put in between two oxen or two cows when they plow the field. In other words, they walk together uh, disciplined and and they help the farmer turn the earth over plowing so Jesus says join me in plowing through life I will help we will help each other taking on a yoke implies being united to one another in order to work together those who are yoked together must go in the same direction by doing so their work is made considerably easier when we finally decide to submit our lives and our wills to God's direction Our burdens will become manageable. When we let him do the driving, we will find rest for our souls. He knows the way and has the strength to turn us around and get us on the road towards happy, joyous, and free recovery. Let me go ahead and read Matthew 27 and 30, chapter 11. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Amen and amen to that.
Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Amen. Amen. That's why we want to get our rest. We want to put down the uh, TikTok, the YouTube and entertainment and read before we go to sleep and get our full rest and find out what what work Jesus wants us to do with him. It could be easy as changing a tire, visiting a person, but being in communication with him is easy. In other words, we, I always thought that God was a harsh taskmaster. Oh, you better get this done. I'm going to cut your head off. Something like that, right? But right here he says, take my... He goes, take my side upon you and let me teach you. Let me walk with you. Because, this is amazing where it says, because I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. The Bible says that we hang around angry people, we'll pick up their anger. Don't hang around with angry people because we'll pick up their anger. If I hang around humble and gentle of heart, people especially hanging around Jesus, I will find rest for my souls. And that's what I've been looking for, right? Satisfaction in life. And then he says, for my yoke or my instructions are easy to bear. My and the work I give you is light. And isn't that pretty light? Isn't it light for us to get on our knees and to communicate with Jesus? Isn't it light for us to do what we're doing right now? Pick up the Bible and read a few words and consider the connotation and the powerful words. Guys, Jesus is everything. He's our protector. He's our savior. When I was having trouble sleeping, I visited my niece and she had a little seven-year-old little girl. And I don't know where the little girl tells me. If you ask Jesus for sleep, he will give you very good sleep. She told me that. Later on in life, when I went to, um, I was having differences at work and then Jesus came down as a warrior from heaven. And he says, who's bothering you, my son? And he was a warrior that wanted as a protective warrior. Ancient warrior. See, those things, those visions, they have become real to me. Another time, I was in Sacramento. And I, was, I had to speak the next day. I, some of you heard this story. I had to speak to a group of people in a 12-step program. So just like you and I, I was a little nervous, so I prayed and I asked Jesus to help me the next day. And I had a dream, and actually it was a vision. And the Jesus said, tell them that if they give anything to me, I will fix and it will never be a problem again. And then in this that is an incredible promise that only a God that you that can do that. You know, and I've done it. I give Jesus some things that I, I could not handle and he has fixed them. You know, for instance, uh, my younger son was 
living with me and he was on a funk just like uh, wouldn't go out and look for work after graduating from college UCLA and he was using my car so I just got on my knees and, and, it, I, and I got on my knees and I turned them over to Jesus properly successfully Jesus I put your, my son into your arms into your hands do with him as you will take him protect him boom my son got up with great power and strength the next day rented a van threw all his stuff in there and he was gone like that <laughs> and I said to self self why take you so long to pray for a job today he has a job he has responsibility and I'm proud of him and I am proud of you that you listen to my life's experiences through the Bible of Matthew. Thank you so much for coming in here. Let's go ahead and pray out. Uh, let's say the uh, seven-step prayer. God, my creator, starts out like that. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out here to do your bidding. Amen. So as I'm praying, I'm asking the Holy Spirit if I miss anything that I need to say. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher, our guide. Amen. God bless your family. Wait on the Lord and be strong. Be strong and wait on the Lord. Amen. Talk to you later. Psalm 108. Greetings. Morning is a wonderful time to praise God. Now that we are in recovery, our nights may seem long, but each additional free day should fill our hearts with joy. We should let our joy spill out as a message of hope to others in need. Our testimonies of God's faithfulness may lead others to the joy we are beginning to experience in the process of recovery. My heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lyre and harp. I will make the dawn with my song. <clears throat> I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. In verses 6 through 13 in Psalm 108, it says, Now rescue your beloved people, answer and save us by your power. God has promised this by his holiness. I will divide Shechem with joy. I will measure out the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine, and Manish is too. 
Ephraim, my helmet, will produce my warriors, and Judah, my scepter, will produce my kings. But Moab, my watchman, will become my servant, and I will wipe my feet on Edom and shout in triumph over Philistia. Who will bring me into the fortified city? Who will bring me victory over Edom? Have you rejected us, O God? Will you no longer march with our armies? Oh, please help us against our enemies, for all human help is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things. He will trample down our foes. There is no resource for re true recovery other than the strength offered by our gracious God. Again, there is no resource for true recovery other than the strength offered by our gracious God. It is futile to rely on anyone else for our victory, since God alone can give us the power to overcome our dependencies and compulsions. Ultimately, He is the one who conquers our enemies and helps us to do mighty things. We must admit our powerlessness and turn our lives over to His care and direction. Praise God in the highest. Praise Him in the holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In Psalms 111, verses 1 through 10, Fear the Lord, the psalmist wrote. It is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey His commandments will grow in wisdom. God has given us clear instructions for our lives in this word, in His Word. When we fear God and are willing to accept His instructions as the basis for all our decisions, we have a good starting point. Jesus said, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. It follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in in torrents, and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Matthew seven twenty four and 25. Listen to what the Bible says is the next step towards walking in wisdom. Filling our minds with God's instructions will help us lead us to follow them. This will help us turn away from the things forbidden by God. The book of Job tells us, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Job twenty-eight twenty-eight. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Turning our lives over to God is a wise move. Like most aspects of recovery, walking in wisdom is the process that we grow into. These three elements are the groundwork, reverence for God, listening to His instructions and following them. When we lack wisdom, the storms of life can be devastating. When we find our lives in pieces, we may realize that we have acted unwisely and want to change. But where do we start? I'm Fernando. I am a, uh, I am recovered alcoholic. My dependence is on God and The idea is, for me, for this alcoholic, is, is to read the Bible. Hour a day, hour in the morning, hour in the evening, whatever. And just 
There's no other way for victory for this man, for me, is to dive into the Word of God, be alone, and enjoy my life in literature, literature of the Bible. That automatically, I'm having fun, I'm having joy, and then automatically I give reverence and respect to God for the millions and millions of items that I don't understand. Some things are too wonderful, too great for me to try to even understand, and God falls in that category. I just enjoy what gives me peace, peace of mind and satisfaction in life. And that's reading, reading his word, guys. In Psalm 111, says verses 1 through 10 says, Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. All he does is just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people, he has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, all-inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Hallelujah. Amen and amen, guys. In verses 9 and 10, it says, it says, he has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, all-inspiring name he has. What a holy, all-inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise the Lord. God ransoms his people, the Israelites, First, by making a covenant with them, and then by delivering them time after time from their enemies. God has ransomed us, too, from the penalty of our sins by paying a very dear price, His own Son. God made this ultimate sacrifice so we, unworthy though we are, can be restored to godly and joyful lives. This should encourage us as we seek recovery. God wants it to happen even more than we do. That's why we can safely entrust our lives into his hands. God has proven how strongly he desires our recovery by giving his own son to suffer in our place. Amen and amen. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You want one more? There's in chapter 112, verses 5 through 10, it says, 
Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes toward it. Our best chances for success is overcoming our destructive habits. Our bad thoughts, patterns, and our hurts in our lives is to keep our eyes on God. Making good choices in our lives won't make everyone happy. Some of our old enemies and our old friends who used to lead us astray will wonder why no longer related to them as we did. Some of them may even criticize us or think we are snobbish. As a result, we may find the process of recovery lonely at first in times like these. We must look to God who is always with us. With his help, we will find new relationships that will strengthen us and learn how to reconcile our old relationships so they will support us in the recovery process. Now remember, people that really love us will support us. People that really don't care about us or don't want to let go of their judgment of us or how we should be won't care about your recovery. As a matter of fact, they'll want you to join them. Because uh, people believe that you you should believe like they believe. Stay in the same realm. Don't break out. We need to reach other people by uh, uh, learning, reading at nighttime, reading in the morning, reading at noon, reading the Word of God, reading. That gives us the fruit of that. gives us wisdom. With Wisdom is a heaviness, a weight that keeps us content. And it keeps our brain satisfied. Folks, we need a good dose of proper reading. And what better thing than the recovery Bible right alongside our recovery. In Jesus' name, we choose to do that, don't we? May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Live up to his promises to you and establish you in every good way. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen and amen. God bless you. Greetings, especially to all those who are new to Alcoholic Anonymous, to the, the movement of AA. This is an unofficial a testimony this is my own personal program I'm bringing to you. I'm Fernando. I am a true alcoholic. I drank everything in the house, even the Osopril alcohol and the cologne, trying to get keep the high going. After I drank everything, and we had guests in the house, 
And out of my mind, I got on my 55 Chevy that I was putting together with a brand new engine and raced it with it up and down the boulevard and I got busted. I got busted. I got sent to the clinger. I got sent and I lost my truck driving job for a period of about a couple of years till the miracle of AA has brought put me back together. So I hope you have an interest in it being new. So let's go ahead. We have a traditional prayer called the serenity prayer that works. It puts perspective on the line in wisdom. It goes, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Remember, amen. Throughout the day, I I keep saying, God, grant me. Grant me. Grant me strength. Grant me enthusiasm. Grant me ability to say no to the drink. If I should be drinking today, right? God, grant me a new way of living that would be uh, helpful to all, all, everybody. Alcoholics Anonymous, the program of AA, they they have a, a monthly storybook of really cool. Everybody writes in their stories, their 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 scrapes and and rebounds, and I, I just love this kind of stuff because they call it a meeting in print. I can actually take it with me and uh, and enjoy people's lives on paper. So I want to thank God for the uh, grapevine, aa.grapevine, or you can find them at uh, aagrapevine.org and order your subscription and give them away. But AA is a, consists of fellowships of people who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problems and help others to recover from alcoholism and crazy living. About 60 programs have spinned off or more out of this AA program, out of these 12-step format. And that's what it is. It's a format. It puts everything in perspective and what keeps a boat afloat in the sea of alcoholism, in the sea of problems. Through trial and error, thousands and I could say millions of people have lost their lives over alcoholism. And you got a few people that have erected ships and boats that stay afloat on top of a world that's full of alcoholism. And they are enjoying sobriety and that's what I'm doing now, enjoying my sobriety. I used to be <clears throat> I used to be in a busted down ship called the U- USS Battle Battleship. But now I am in the fellowship of AA and it's a beautiful ship. The only <clears throat> the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting to our own contributions. AA is not associated with any sect, any denomination, any kind of politics, any kind of organization or institution. 
does not wish to engage in any controversy, so don't bring any in here, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay joyfully sober and help other grunto alcoholics to achieve sobriety. <laughs> Amen. So welcome. Our first story today, I believe I read it already, but I'm going to start marking them as I read them. This one comes to us from New York, RB from Bedford, New York. So God bless you to all the groups in New York. A high five from California. This is actually first written in way back in November 1949, the grapevine. It says, the individual. Now, alcohol tasted the same way back then as it is today. Everyday occurrences with alcohol are the same. Here we go. The individual. Do the 12 traditions of AA have any special meaning for the individual? Are they important to you and me? Personally, or are they significant merely as they help us to make sound group decisions? My own feelings is that they have personal as well as group meaning and that groups can apply them effectively only when the individual members understand them, accept them, and believe in them. Okay, when each, when I, Fernando, I believe in them, I accept them, and I understand them then they will be effective in my life. Here we go. If a group rejects the experience offered in the traditions, it is a threat to me personally because it weakens a part of the structure of AA, which helps keep me sober. Take away a sound group structure in AA and you will leave the floundering. I have the 12 suggested steps to fall back on. But would they be enough in time of crisis? They might be, but I know that working in and with a group of AA makes it a lot easier to stay sober, and I prefer not to do things the hard way. If I, as an individual, need a group affiliation, it must be with a group whose roots are grounded in AA wisdom, experience, and principles. I am not looking for sociability, conviviality, or a chance to make business contact. I came to AA to achieve and retain sobriety. I wanted to share a gift that has been made possible by the costly experience of others. The 12 traditions of AA disclose that experience to me. They tell me what has to be done and what has to be avoided to help ensure the continued sobriety of the early members. And they remind me that if the early members had not continued sober, I might not be sober today myself. In the traditions, I can read an assurance that AA will continue to be guided by principles, not by personalities. That is important. The domination of a single group by personalities would be distasteful to me. However, well-intentioned those personalities might be, If doubts and differences should arise in any group with which I may be associated, I want the solution of those doubts and differences to emerge from something bigger than personalities, something bigger than the group itself. 
The 12 traditions seem to me to express a deep sense of the humility and responsibility upon which AA is based. To help make AA continue to serve, I must also bring humility and responsibility to bear upon all personal decisions involving AA. Some of those decisions will be made at closed meetings of AA groups. Others may involve purely personal relationships. Yet in each decision, I cannot help but shape in some small way the future of AA for myself and for others who may be affected. This is a grave responsibility for any one of us. We can discharge such responsibilities far better than the decisions we make flow from the reservoir of AA experience contained in the 12 traditions. Let me read that again, please. My thoughts were somewhere else. The 12 traditions seem to me to express a deep sense of the humility and responsibility upon which AA is based. To help make AA continue to serve, I must also bring humility and responsibility to bear upon all personal decisions involving AA. Some of those decisions will be made at closed meetings of AA groups. Others may involve purely personal relationships, yet in each decision I can have help but shape in some small way the future of AA for myself and for others who may be affected. This is a grave responsibility for any one of us. We can discharge such responsibilities far better than the decisions we make flow from the reservoir of AA experience containing in the 12 traditions. The traditions have been published for many months before I approached them with an open mind to investigate what they meant and how they could help me. Their importance did not sink in, did not penetrate until I actually began to read them thoroughly, to study them and to measure them against my own limited experience in AA. As a result today, I have a deeper sense of the importance of AA not only to myself, but to others for whom AA may in the future mean so much. I can see more clearly how easily the great gift of AA might be dissipated if the simple yet costly experience of the past were rejected. Without AA, few of us could long survive to lead hopeful, fruitful, constructive lives. The 12 traditions show us how AA can be preserved and kept strong. And that is all I have to know to lead me to accept those traditions as key elements in my own personal survival. Without AA, few of us could long survive to lead hopeful, fruitful, constructive lives. The 12 traditions show us how AA can be preserved and kept strong. And that is all I have to know to lead me to accept those traditions as key elements in my own personal survival. Amen. You know, that can, this is from R.B. Bedford, coming from Bedford, New York. Thank you very much. I'm sure he's long gone. He's probably in the meeting in the sky looking down and saying, hey, they're reading my article. And you know, he was right. Uh, I think the uh, he was just a few months sober when he wrote this, 
and the, and the traditions have been just out in a couple of years. And now we're, uh, this is 2022. I mean, and we are still leaning on the traditions. I know groups and people get, get off on tangent. I had a guy call me yesterday and he was trying to call me. It was a new, I didn't recognize the phone number, so I didn't call back. I thought he was a, it didn't sound like his, his, his way of the way he tries to communicate with me. He's got 10 years in the program. I have going on 28. And uh, he, um, I sponsored him in the beginning. And then he went on with another sponsor. And then he got into an argument with him. And he just came back from his third sponsor. And he goes, well, I'm glad we're always friends. We had our differences. Yep, you better believe it. I kept telling him that thank God that his wife was divorcing him. And he said, I'm going to come over and beat your ass. And I said, come on, I can take you. <laughs> He's a younger guy, husky. Anyway, he uh, he kept on and on today. He's got 10 years and I'm very proud of him. He has become our, uh, our speaker getter for two or three years for a meeting. He goes around getting speakers for our... Uh, weekly meeting but not only in that from my experience is management makes you crazy that's my experience trying to manage what uh, your life and others we need to, to to worry about the newcomer and and manage our lives around the, the newcomer's success you know all we have to do is believe and pray that the newcomer will make it. Give that caring attitude that the newcomer can feel when he comes in all beat up and scraped up with alcohol and bewildered. He's right. So <clears throat> that was my message to him. If you worry about the newcomer, your life will take place. You don't have to be worried trying to find a sponsor all over the place. You know, I had another individual. I told him, go help this new guy read the book. He doesn't know how to read properly. That's your... If you do that, your life will straighten out. You know, just going to the meetings and high fine and helping the newcomer believe that they can get it. And that's my experience and with the traditions, leaning and studying the traditions, I was just thinking, I was reading this thing. <clears throat> I started a meeting in the park seven days a week, and we, I took the format from a hospital in a rehab, which they use the Bill W. Every morning, they open up with the third step prayer, and uh, it was pretty good. There was uh, people from all over the country there, insurance companies paying $1,000 uh, a day for them to be in a hospital in California for rehab and people taking their their savings and sending their unruly kids over here and they're just smoking and talking in the back and uh, see now I got off that was a uh, outside issue <laughs> the point I'm making is I brought that Format to the park, and I started seven meetings. I myself sat there for two weeks by myself. The people that came to help me were the newcomers with their court. They wanted us to get the court signed, and they said, 
going to the noon meetings is too late for me. I need to go do this, do that. So this 9 a.m. meeting works. So they started coming, and I started uh, giving them the bag to, to do, run the meetings and training apps when I wasn't there. And that's how the group started. And then I was waiting for the, uh, the Calvary to come in. But when the Calvary came in, they considered me an Indian, and I was the enemy. They didn't like Bill W. seven days a week. After a few years, they got very tired, and there was mutiny in the bounty. I was busy working with my sister, who was, you know, now has passed away, just helping out the family, you know, just trying to do life, got recently married, trying to do that life and their needs. You know, a very lot of strenuous situations. You know, when we get into a new marriage, supposed to be happy, joyous, and free. We're still married today, 12 years later. And we're happy, joyous, and free. I believe. Well, she tells me that anyway. Uh, getting back to the point. You know, the beauty of it is that you, you need an enemy. Our enemy is alcohol. Our enemy is the alcohol that has the newcomer bewildered. That's our enemy. That's our goal. That's our task. To be happy, joyous, and free. And they can see that and they can hear it in our story. We're not preaching. But we're allowing them to be our friends, to high-five them. I tell the guys, the newcomers, to thank God for their problems because they're here and they're opening new doors. And if it wasn't for their problem, they wouldn't have the strength to open the new door, they wouldn't care. A new door in life for benefits. So getting back to, uh, I, I told my friend, I said, you don't need a sponsor. You don't need to be, you have to be looking upward for approval so you can hold your, your boat in a light of someone. Yeah, I have a sponsor, but he's just a good friend of mine. He high fives. And everyone, and I'm not alone. Every time I, I have a quote, I run into a situation. For instance, yesterday I wanted to cook for the park, but it was too crowded and it was too cold and it wasn't sunny. I wanted to make hamburgers for a group. I had all the equipment and all the meat ready to go. And I called them and I said, I consulted with a, a guy that I call my sponsor. And I have about five of these guys. And he said, no, nah, I go, go home and rest. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking. He just validated, you know. We'll do that again tomorrow. Hopefully the sun will come up and all quietness will come up. So here we are, fully clothed in my right mind, telling others that you really, you have to work and worry about newcomers and get to a point where you care that they make it. That as you handshake when you in the eyes, they can sense you care. That's all people need. And from there, they'll pick up. You put in the uh, 51% and they'll put in the 49%. That's my experience. I'm Fernando. I am an alcoholic. And I want to thank you for listening to me rambling on about the newcomer. Um, please get yourself an AA grapevine and have the, even if you don't read it and they stack right there and they're just get them and, and, and start talking to the grapevine. You say, 
Someday I'm going to read you. Put it in the toilet where you can see it. Say, someday I'm going to read you. I usually carry two grapevines with me, and I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them, and I'll carry them to the bedroom. I'll put them in the car. I'll take them out in the patio, and I still have read them, but I'm carrying them around all over the place. And finally, I carried them about three weeks, and I said, here I am. I'm reading them now, and I'm talking more than reading Anyway, let's get out of here. Let's pray out with the Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Keep coming back. It's working, family. Easy does it. Let's go ahead and pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a serious recording of Bill Wilson, of his talk that he did in the years past. Let's bring him up. Please listen. Listen with all your heart. Please pay attention for the hour of the reading. We need you to take your the message and pass it on to others, your generation, to your people, to your loved ones around you. You can make a difference. We can make a difference. Here we go. Thank you. We have not only Bill with us, we have another that I would like to just for a second pay a little tribute to. And that is Abby. And those of you who have read the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, Know that on page 18, Eddie walked in to Bill's room and carried a message to him. And in the way, did a 12-step job on the guy that had kept our candle burning. I'd like for Eddie to stand up just for a second, please.
and also a lot of work, along with a lot of praying. One of those two alone will not get the job done, and nobody knows that better than our beloved Bill. Will everybody rise, please? When they were first written back there in 1945 or 6, 
start with a tentative guide to help us to hang together and function. Nobody paid any attention except a few beginners who wrote me what the hell mail about it. Nobody paid the slightest attention. But little by little, as these traditions uh, got around, and we had our clubhouse squabbles, our group rifts, this difficulty and that, it was found that the traditions indeed did reflect experience and were guiding principles. So they took on a little more, and a little more, and a little more, so that today the average AA coming in the door learns at once what they're about, what kind of an outfit he really has landed in, by what principles his group and the AA as a whole are governed. But as I say the decade with all that, I just like to spin some yarns, and they will be a series of yarns which cluster around the preparation of the good old book, Alcoholics Not. Some people reading the book now, they say, well, this is the A.A. Bible. When I hear that, it always makes me shudder because the guys who put it together weren't a damn bit biblical. <laughs> I think sometimes some of the drunks have an idea that these old timers went around with this almost visible halos and long gowns and they were full of sweetness and light. Oh boy, how inspired they were. Oh, yes. But wait for it, I pulled the book yarn really started in the living room of uh, Doc and Annie Smith. As you know, I landed there in the summer of 35, a little group called Hall. I helped Smithy briefly with it, and he went on to found the first AA group in the world. And as with all new groups, it was nearly all failure, but now and then, Somebody saw the light, and there was progress. Tampered, I got back to New York, a little more experience, the group started there. And by the time we got around to 1937, the thing had leaked a little over into Cleveland, and it began to move south in New York. But it was still, we thought in those years, a flying blind. A flickering candle indeed. It doesn't mind at any moment be snuffed out. So on this late fall afternoon in 1937, Smithy and I were talking together in his living room and sitting there by the gas log. And we began to count notes. How many people had stage drive in action? in New York, maybe a few in Sweden. How many had stayed dry and for how long? And when we added up that scope, sure, it was a handful, I don't know, 35, 40 maybe, but enough time had elapsed on enough really fatal cases of alcoholism 
when we grasp the import of these small statistics, Bob and I saw for the first time that this thing was going to succeed, that God in his providence and mercy had thrown new life into the dark caves where we and our kind had been and were still by the millions dwelt. I never can forget the elation and ecstasy that seized both. And then we fell happily talking and reflected. We reflected that, well, a couple of score of them, but it had taken three long years. There had been a momentum out of failure, but a long time had been taken just to sober up the handful. How could this handful carry its message to all those who still didn't know? Not all the drunks in the world could come to Akron or to New York. How could we transmit our message to them? Why was me? Maybe we thought we should go to the old timers in East Group, with ten men nearly everybody, find the sum of money, somebody else's money, of course, and say to them, well, now take a sabbatical year off your job, if you have any, and you go to Keokuk and Omaha and Chicago and San Francisco to Los Angeles, and wherever it may be, and you give this thing a year and get a group start. It had already got evident by then, for we were just about to be moved out of the city hospital in Akron to make room for people with broken legs and ailing livers. Just our hospitals were not too happy with us. We tried to run their business perhaps too much, and besides, drunks were apt to be noisy in the night, and there were other inconveniences, which were all familiar. So it was obvious that, uh, Drunk being such a lovely creature, we would have to have a great chain of hospitals. And as that dream burst upon me, it sounded good, because you see, I've been down in Wall Street in the promotion business, and I remember the great sums of money that were made as, as soon as people got this chain idea, you know, the chain drugstore, the chain grocery store, the chain dry, dry goods store. Why not chain drunk tanks? and let us make the dog. <laughs> so we needed some missionaries, subsidized. We needed a chain of drunk tanks. That got very clear. Awful clear to me. Bob is a conservative type of Yankee. I don't think he was quite so fast for those items. I was very insistent. It would take a pile of dough to finance all this. But after all, with this brand new light shining in our dark world, we just squirted in the eyes of rich guys and made up with the doll. <laughs> Besides, we reflected, uh, <laughs> we'd have to get some kind of literature. Up to this moment, not a syllable of this program, so far as I know, was in writing. 
And it was a kind of a word of mouth deal. You with variations according to each man or woman's fancy. Well, in a general way, we said, well, the booze has got you down, boys. You got an allergy and an obsession, and you're hopeless. If you are, you better get honest with yourself. Take stock. You ought to talk this out with somebody. Kind of professionally, you know. And you ought to make restitution for the harm you did. You ought to make amends and all that kind of business. Well, you prayed as best you could, according to your life and family. And that was the sum of the word of mouth program up to that time. But as I say, variations on that were already appearing. How could we unify this thing? Could we, out of our experience, get certain principles, describe certain methods that had done the trick for us? Yes, obviously. If this movement was to propagate, it had to have a literature so its message could not be garbled either by the drunks or by the general public. So Bob and I reflected that late afternoon in 1937. Missionaries, chain of drunk tanks, and the book. Well, even by then, he and I had begun to learn that we were not the government of Alcoholics Anonymous. He, I guess more than I, already realized that the conscience of the group, the opinion of the group, when it was an informed opinion and in the group's interest would be better than our own. We'd better consult, folks. Well, there was dear old uh, old non-alcoholic, his wife, T. Henry Woodis there in Ashland. They'd let us meet in their house. After he got out of the Smith Power, he got into theirs. And he was great friends of ours. So we called a meeting of the Akron group, that is to say those who had been sober any great length of time. I think for this particular meeting, we scraped up about 18. And that evening, Bob and I told them that we were in within sight of success. That we thought this thing might go on and on and on. That a new light, indeed, was shining in our dark world. But how could this light be reflected and transmitted without being distorted and dark? And at this point, they turned the meeting over to me, and being a salesman, I set right to work on them drunk tanks and subsidies for the missionaries. I was pretty poor then. And we touched on the book. And group conscience consisted of 18 men, good and true. And the good and true men, you could see right away, were damn skeptical about it all. Almost with one voice, they chorus, let's keep it simple. This is going to bring money into this thing. This is going to create a professional class. We'll all be ruined. Well, I countered, that's a very good argument. Lots of what you say. 
But even within gunshot of this very house, alcoholics are dying like flies. And if this thing doesn't move any faster than it has in the next in the last three years, it may be another ten before it gets to the outskirts of Akron. How in God's name are we going to carry this message to others? We've got to take some kind of chance. We can't keep it so simple it becomes an anarchy and gets complicated. We can't keep it so simple it won't propagate itself. And we got to have a lot of money to do these things. Still exerting myself to the utmost, which was considerable in those days, we finally got a vote in that little meeting, and it was a mighty close vote. By just a majority of maybe two or three, the meeting said with some reluctance, well, Bill, if we need a lot of dough, you better go back to New York, where there's plenty of it, and you raise it. <laughs> well, boy, that was the word I'd been waiting for. So I scrammed back to the great city, and I began to approach some people of means and describe this tremendous thing that had happened. And it didn't seem so tremendous as the people of means at all. That's what, 35 or 40 drunk? Sobered up? They have sobered him up before now, you know. And besides, Mr. Wilson, don't you think it's kind of sweeping up the shavings? I mean, uh, I mean, wasn't there something for the Red Cross be better? <laughs> In other words, with all of my most highly solicitation, I got one hell of a freeze from the gentleman of the Well, I began to get blue. And when I began to get blue, uh, my stomach kicked up as well as other things. And I was laying in the bed one night with an imaginary ulcer attack. Used to have them all the time. <laughs> I had one at the time to that for it. <laughs> and I said, my God, uh, we're starving to death here at Clinton Street. By this time, the house was full of drunks. They were raising us out of the house and home. In those days, we never believed in charging anything for uh, anybody for anything. So Lois was earning the money. I was being a missionary and the drunks were eating meals. <laughs> This can't go on. We gotta have them drug tanks, we gotta have them missionaries, and now we gotta have them missionaries. And we gotta have a look. That's for sure. Well, the next morning I crawled into my clothes and I saw my brother-in-law. He's a doctor and he is about the last person who's stuck in the one that's just way, way down. The only one to say, of course, dear Lord. Well, I said I'd go up and see Leonard. So I went up to see my brother-in-law Leonard. He tried out a little time between patients coming in up there. And I started my awful bellyache about these rich guys who wouldn't give us any dull for his great and glorious enterprise. So well on his way. And it seems to me that somehow he was tied up with the Rockefeller family in their charity. And if you want to, we'll call up the Rockefeller offices and see if there is such a man, and if there is, is he alive, and will he see us? Would you like me to do that? 
Well, I hadn't tried the Rockefeller office, so I said, well, sure, Jim Ray. <laughs> On what slender threads are destiny sometimes passed? <laughs> Remember, my brother's law said I knew a girl, and I think she had it on. <laughs> so the call was made. Instantly there came out of the other end of the wire the voice of dear Willard Richards, one of the loveliest Christian gentlemen that I have ever known. And the moment he recognized my brother-in-law, he said, why, Leonard, he said, where have you been all these years? Well, my brother-in-law, unlike me, is a man of very few words, so he quickly said to dear old Uncle Willard that he had a brother-in-law who was apparently having some success sobering up drugs. Could uh, the two of us come over there and see him? Why, certainly, said dear Willard, uh, come right over. So we go over to Rockefeller Plaza, we go up that elevator, 54 flights, 56, I guess it is. And we walk plump into Mr. Rockefeller's personal office. Asked to see Mr. Richards. And here sits this lovely, benign old gentleman. Who nevertheless had a kind of shrewd twinkle in his eye. So I sat down and told him about our exciting this terrific cure for alcoholics that had just did the work. How it worked. What we had done. And boy, this was the first receptive man with money or access to money. Remember, we were in Mr. Rockefeller's personal office at this point. And by now, too, we had learned that this was Mr. Rockefeller's closest personal friend, perhaps. So he said, why, yes, said I. Much interesting. Uh, Would you like to have lunch with me, Mr. Wilson? Well, now you know for a rising promoter, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to have lunch with best friends instead of John D. Things were looking up. My ultra attack disappeared. <laughs> So I had lunch with the old gentleman, and we go over the thing again, and boy, he's so warm and kind and friendly. Right at the close of lunch, he said, well, now, Mr. Wilson, or Bill, if I can call you that, uh, said, wouldn't you like to have a larger meeting with some of my friends? Said, there's Frank Amos, he's in the advertising business, but he was on a committee that recommended Mr. Rockefeller uh, drop the... Uh, Prohibition business. And there's Roy Chipman, he looked at Mr. Rockefeller's real estate. There's Mr. Scott, he's chairman of the board up at the Riverside Church. And he said a number of people like they are. I believe they'd like to hear that story. So a meeting was arranged, and it fell upon a winter's night, late 1937. And the meeting was at 30th Rockefeller Plaza, we called in post haste a couple of drugs, Macron, Smithy, 
included, of course, adding the protection. I came in with the New York contingent, four or five. And to our astonishment, we were ushered into Mr. Rockefeller's personal board room, right next to our office, right next to his office. And I thought to myself, well, now, this, this is really getting hot. And indeed, I felt very much warm when I was told by Mr. Richardson that I was sitting in a chair just vacated by Mr. Rockefeller. And I said, well, now, we really are getting close to the bankroll. Old Doc Silver was there that night, too. And he testified what he had seen happen to these new friends of ours. And each drunk, thinking of nothing better to say, well, he said, I told our story, drinking and the recovery. And these folks listened. They seemed very definitely impressed. So I could see that the moment for the big touch was coming. So I gingerly brought up the subject of the drunk tanks, the subsidized missionaries, and this question of a book or literature. Well, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. But it didn't look like a wonder to me when Mr. Scott, head of a large engineering firm and chairman of the Riverside Church, looked at us and said, but gentlemen, that up to this point, this has been the work of goodwill only. No plant, no property, no paid people, just one carrying the good news to the next. Isn't that true? And may it not be that that is where the great power of this society lies. Now, if we subsidize it, might it not alter its whole character? We want to do all we can. We're gathered for that. But what if we want? Well, then the salesmen all gave Mr. Scott the rut. And we said, why? <coughs> Mr. Scott, there are only 40 of us. It's taken three years. Why, millions, Mr. Scott, will rot before this thing ever gets sold unless we have money and lots of it. And we made out our case at last with these gentlemen. For the missionaries, the drunk tank, the lost. So one of them volunteered to investigate us very carefully. And since poor old Dr. Bob was harder up than I was, and since the first group and the typical community situation was in Akron, we directed their attention out there. And Frank Amos, still a trustee in the foundation, at his own expense, got on a train, went out to Akron, made all sorts of preliminary inquiries around town about Dr. Bob. All the reports were good, except that he was drunk <laughs> and recently got over. He visited the little meeting out there. He went to the Smith's house. 
And he came back with what he thought was a very modest project. And he recommended to these friends of ours that, uh, well, we should have at least uh, just a token amount of money at first, say fifty thousand dollars, something like that. That was clear off Margie down at Smith's place. It was uh, get us a little rehabilitation place. We could put Dr. Smith in charge. Uh, we could subsidize a few of these people briefly until we got some more money, and we could, uh, you know, it would start the chain of hospitals. We'd have a few missionaries. We could get busy on the book. All for mere fifty thousand bucks. Well, considering the kind of money we were backed up against, that did sound a little small. But you know, one thing leads to another. It sounded real good. We were we were real glad. Mr. Willard Richardson, our original contact, then took that report in John Day. Junior, as everybody called him. And I think it's very important went on. Yeah. Mr. Rockefeller read the report, called Willard Richardson back, and he said, somehow I am strangely stirred by all this. This interests me immensely. And then looking at his friend Willard, he said, but isn't money going to spoil the I'm terribly afraid that it would. And yet I'm so strangely stirred by it. Then came another turning point in our destiny. When that man whose business is giving away money said to Willard Richardson, No, he said, I won't be the one to spoil this by with money. You say these two men who are heading it are a little strapped. I'll put five thousand dollars in the Riverside Church Treasury. You folks can form yourselves into a committee and draw on it as you like. But please don't ask me for any more. But I want to hear what goes on. Well, the fifty thousand then shrunk to five. We raised the mortgage on Smith's house. For about three grand, that left two, and Smithy and I commenced toying on that too. Well, that was a long way from string to Dr. Drunk Tank, books, What in thunder would we do? Well, we had more meetings with our newfound friends. Amos, Richardson, Scott, Chipman, and those fellows who stuck with us to this day, come out of now being gone. <laughs> and in spite of Mr. Rockefeller's advice, we again convinced these folks that this thing needed a lot of money. What could you do without it? So, one of them proposed, well, why don't we form a foundation, something like the Rockefeller Foundation? Well, I said, I hope it'll be like that with respect to money. <laughs> and then one of them got a free lawyer from Ely Hill Roots firm who was interested in the thing. And we ought to ask him to draw an agreement of trust. A church.
to be called the Alcoholic Foundation. Why we picked that one, I don't know. I don't know whether the foundation was alcoholic. It was the Alcoholic Foundation, not the Alcoholic Foundation. No. And the lawyer was very much confused because in the meeting in which we formed the foundation, we made it very plain that uh, we drunks did not wish to be in the majority. We felt that there should be non-alcoholics on the board, and they ought to be in a majority of one. Well, indeed, said the lawyer, what is the difference between an alcoholic and a non-alcoholic? And one of our smart drunks says, well, that's the same. A non-alcoholic is a guy who can drink, and an alcoholic is a guy who can't drink. Well, said the lawyer, how do we state that legally? I wouldn't know. <laughs> so at length, we have a foundation and a board, which I think then was of about seven, consisting of four of these new friends, including my brother-in-law, Mr. Richard Chipman Amos, and some of us drunk. I think Smithy went on the board, but I kind of coyly stayed off it, thinking, well, it would be more convenient later on. So we had this wonderful new foundation. These friends, unlike Mr. Rockefeller, were told that we needed a lot of dough. And so our salesmen around New York started to solicit, solicit the money. Again, from the very rich. And we had a list of them, and we had credentials and letters from friends of Mr. John D. Rockefeller. How could you miss? I asked you, sir. The foundation has been formed in the spring of 1938, and all summer we solicited the rich. Well, they were either in Florida, or they preferred the Red Cross, or some of them thought the drunks were disgusting. And we didn't get one damn cent in the whole summer of 1938, praise God. Well, meantime, we began to hold trustee meetings, and they were commiseration sessions on getting no dough. What with the mortgage and what with Smithy and me eating away at it, the five grand had about gone up the flue, and we were all stony broke again. Smithy couldn't get his practice back either because he was a surgeon, and nobody liked to be carved up by an alcoholic surgeon, even if he was for years. So things were tough all around, no fool. <laughs> well, what would we do? So one day, probably in August 1938, I produced at a foundation meeting <coughs> a couple of chapters of a proposed book in rough and in mimeograph. As a matter of fact, we've been using chapters of this proposed book along with some recommendations of a couple doctors down at Johns Hopkins to try to put the bite on the wreck. And we still had these two book chapters kicking around. And so Frank Amos said, well, now I know the religious editor down there at Harvard, old friend of mine, Gene X, said, why don't you take these two book chapters, your story and the introduction to the book, down there and show them to Gene see what he thinks about it. So I took the chapters down, 
my great surprise, Gene, who has become a great friend of ours, looked at the chapters and said, why? He said, Mr. Wilson, he said, would you write a whole book like this? All right. Stationary store, we buy a pad of blank stock certificates, we write across the top. Of 